alibi. Origin late 17th century as an adverb in the sense of elsewhere, from Latin elsewhere. The noun use dates to the late 18th century. Elsewhere is where I live and where I travel. Through the gloom and between the moments, I visit places, people, and occasionally things. I listen to their dreams, their desires, and I keep their secrets. And yes, sometimes I am their excuse. Welcome. I'm Babiole, and this is the Alibi Tent. The Alibi Tent is brought to you by Team Hate Press, an independent publisher for noir, crime, and slime fiction. Their latest Perfect for Fall offering is Neighborhood Watch, a collection of 20 crime stories. You can find it on Amazon or at your local Barnes & Noble or Waterstones. And you can find Team Hate Press on Instagram at Team Hate Press. Today is Moon Day, October 26th. Moon is waxing gibbous in Pisces. Moon Day is good for intentions focusing on women's concerns, childbirth, fertility, psychic work, spiritual work, and marriage. The waxing moon is suited for intentions concerning invocation, attraction, and bringing things to you. Pisces Moon contributes energy for dreamy creativity, mysticism, spirituality, endings, and emotions. The patron demon is Earl Ipos, who is helpful in divination and intentions to boost confidence. There was a girl who lived with her farmer father. It was rumored that the girl couldn't be scared by anything and so most people referred to her as Fearless Mary when they had the occasion to talk of her at all. One dark and windy night, her father was entertaining a few of his friends, the blacksmith and the village grave digger. Before long, they ran out of alcohol and asked Mary to go down to the local pub for another bottle. You can't send that girl out on a night like this, said the grave digger. She'll be too frightened. My daughter isn't afraid of anything in this world, living or dead, her father said. Isn't that right, Mary? But Mary was already putting on her shawl, then opened the door and headed out into the airy night. Soon she came back and gave the bottle to her father. After a while, her father took out some money and slapped it down on the table. I'll bet you this money on my table that the two of you can't come up with a task that my Mary won't do, he said. The two men looked at the money, then at their friend, and finally at each other. The father sat silent with his hand on the money, and a cat that ate the canary smile on his weathered face. After a few minutes of silent drinking, the blacksmith spoke up. I know something she won't do, he said, then drained his cup with a flourish. The gravedigger leaned toward his smith friend, in anticipation while fighting a sinking feeling and not being the first one to come up with a plan. 
The blacksmith grinned at the gravedigger, then looked at the farmer with a face sober as a judge. I bet she won't go down to the cemetery and go into the charnel house and bring us back a skull. The gravedigger let out a peal of laughter before stifling it with his hand as he crouched back into his chair in a fit of drunken giggles. The farmer looked at him with silent disgust, then turned his attention to the blacksmith. What do I get when she returns with a skull? The blacksmith looked down at the table in front of him and screwed up one side of his mouth as he mulled over an offering. The gravedigger's giggles had almost totally subsided when he looked back up to the farmer and spoke again. I'll fix that two-way sulky so you'll be ready come springtime. The farmer's alcohol-flushed face split into a grin. All right, he said, you're on. He called his daughter out of the kitchen and informed her of the details of the wager. Without a word, Mary put on her shawl, then turned and held her hand out, palm up. The three men looked at her, then to each other in confusion. Mary only looked at her palm and said in a bored tone, Key. The blacksmith nodded in understanding, then slap-tapped the gravedigger on his shoulder. Grimmy, give Mary the key to the charnel house. When he had done so, Mary spun on her heel and went out into the windy dark. It was cold, so Mary amused herself by watching the wind as it danced through the trees to try to keep her mind off of the chill. She walked down the long and winding lane until she got to the church. Here she crossed the lawn through the cemetery gate and made her way to the dead house. The wind lashed her hair as she slid the key into the rusty lock and, with effort, turned it until it opened with a grinding clank. She pushed the heavy wooden door open and stepped inside. As her eyes adjusted to the darkness, she was able to make out her surroundings. The whole room stank of earth and mold and death. Arm bones, leg bones, pelvises, spines, and skulls were stacked on shelves and piled high against the walls, with a few strewn across the floor. Mary made her way across the room, carefully stepping over the bones. The echo of her footsteps followed her through the gloom as she made her way to a pile of bones on a low shelf. She pushed aside a femur and half of a pelvis to reach what she was looking for, a skull with a jaw. Just as she was reaching for the jaw, a voice said, Leave that alone. That's my mother's. Mary stopped and spun around, looking for the source, but saw no one. She waited silently a few moments, standing still in the close and moldy room in an effort to hear any movement, inside or out, that would reveal the location of the voice's owner. When no sound came, she stepped over to a different bony pile, but just as she bent down to pick up a skull, she heard the voice say, Leave that alone. That's my father's. Mary put the skull down, but quickly picked up another one that was close by. Again she heard the voice. Leave that alone. That's my... Exasperated, Mary didn't let the voice finish. She pitched her voice so anyone in 
or outside could hear her. Father or mother, sister or brother, a skull I need, and to be sure, a skull I will have. She then tucked the skull under her arm and walked purposefully out of the dead house, slamming the door behind her and turning the key in the lock. However, as she turned to leave, she heard something banging on the door. As she walked away, keeping her prize tight to her chest, she heard its screams rise to an awful pitch, then fade. When she reached home, Mary plonked the skull on the table in front of her father and the blacksmith and said, There you are. The two men stared at her in amazement. Wait a minute, said the blacksmith, grinning nervously. Didn't you hear anything in the charnel house, Mary? Yes, she replied. Some fool of a ghost or some such called and said, Let that be, that's my mother's. And let that be, that's my father's. But I told them plainly, A skull I need and to be sure a skull I will have. So I took one and there it is. She looked at the surprised faces of the two men in the flickering firelight. What happened then, her father asked. As I was going away, I locked the door behind me, she said. I heard the stupid ghost screaming and screeching and hollering like a mad thing. The blacksmith looked to her father, then got to his feet. That was grimy, the blacksmith said. He wanted to win the bet, so he went and hid in the charnel house to frighten you. He must have been scared out of his wits when you locked him in all alone with the bones. They all rushed back to the charnel house, unlocked the door and peered inside. They were too late. The gravedigger lay dead on the bone-strewn ground. His face twisted grotesquely into a silent scream. Soon the story of Mary and the charnel house spread far and wide, which is how you are hearing it now. And no one dared ever again question Mary's bravery. Somewhere between the mundane and the mysterious, the privileged and the primitive, the divine and the damned is the alibi tent. <laughs> <laughs>